John Johnson serves with Multiply among First Nations people groups in Western Canada. Multiply, if you don't know, is the mission arm of the MB Conference in Canada and the United States. Along with his wife, Jen, they seek to build and strengthen relationships between First Nations and the church through education, prayer, and the facilitation of bridge-building encounters, which hopefully we will be able to uh, participate in this afternoon. John will speak now, and then he and Jen will be leading us in the Kairos Blanket exercise at 12 o'clock after lunch. Uh, as David said, we do have, certainly if you didn't sign up, you can join us. Um, I can't guarantee that we will have lunch for everybody, because I know we did ask that people bring their own. You guys are covered. Uh, I welcome John and Jen now, and ask God that the message he gives will be heard. Um, yeah, so an introduction. As uh, First Nation people, uh, introductions are, are supposed to be uh, humble. It's one of our uh, seven sacred teachings, humility. Uh, so when I, when I would introduce myself, I would uh, start with my uh, grandfather, my grandmas, and uh, my mom, my dad, and then I would be at the end of it. Um, often, got some echo. Often, when um, we introduce ourselves in a more Juanitum kind of way, newcomer, we will often say our name and then we'll throw our job in there, maybe what kind of car we drive or what community we live in. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but. We do somewhat try to position ourselves and let people know who we are and how we are and, and how well we're doing. And in, a, in, a, in the more indigenous kind of a way, uh, there's supposed to be more humility. So I would start with my uh, grandparents, like I said, and where they're from. And then I would go to my parents and, and where they are from. And then it's because in the older days, it used to be that when uh, the communities kind of all knew each other. Uh, there was all the trading and bartering and, and economics that would go on and governments and everything that was in each community. But they all knew each other. So if I came to another community and I shared who I was through who my grandparents are and the land that they come from, then that community would have an idea of who, who I should be, not by my name, but by the people I come from and the land that I come from. And if, if, if maybe I'm not behaving properly or representing that well, then that community, there's members in that community that would be able to say, hey, John, we know your grandparents and your, and your, and your mom and your dad, and you're, you're not representing them well, and you need to smarten up a bit. So there's, there's accountability in that too. But so I would introduce myself and, and uh, uh, for my First Nation uh, family, it would be my, my grandpa is Grandpa Ernie Lewis, and he is from Nooksack. And then my grandma is Anna Williams, and she is from Scowlitz. And I have adopted parents too, so my mom is Lucille Johnstone, and uh, she was born in Vancouver. And my dad is Joe Johnstone, he would be from Bellingham. My uh, uh, blood mother is uh, Dorothy Lewis, 
and she is from Lickamel. And my father is Austrian. He's not a good man. There is lots of trauma and trouble in there. But he was from Austria. And uh, my name is John, and I am from Lickamel. And uh, so that would kind of be an introduction to help us to know who I should be from where I am from and, and who I am from. And it is an indigenous way of understanding. Like my first experience in the, in the big house uh, at the, uh, was for a memorial for my grandma. And when we got there, I was so new to the culture and didn't know anything about it. I'm part of the 60 scoop. So I was stolen from the hospital and fostered out for two years and then adopted into a white family and a white community. So I knew none of my language, none of my culture, none of my connectedness to the land as to who I am as a homo person. And so the very first time I'm in the community uh, to be at ceremony, which was a memorial, and when we get there, and I've never been part of that before, I, I knew white Jesus, white Holy Spirit, and white God from the church that I went to and attended for the last 24 years. I said that one time, and my pastor looked at me, and he says, John, I never preached that. And then he kind of paused for a moment, and then he thought about it, and he was like, but that's who I know, isn't it? It's kind of like if a fish is swimming upstream, does he really know he's wet? It's just the environment that you're in. So anyways, we were at the, uh, at the ceremony, and when you go to walk into the big house, it's kind of it's a big house. It's got two big fires going on in it. Uh, there's seats all along the outer, outer side. And uh, there's hostess and, and hosts at the door to invite you in. So I enter in there with my family. And uh, as I walk through the door, and there's two guys standing there, and they go, hello. And I'm like, hello. And they go like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, uh, from Langley. And they kind of look at me, and they're like, huh, no, where are you from? And I'm thinking, well, maybe they mean like more closer, from Walnut Grove. And they're like, <laughs> all right. And then uh, they're like, no, where are you from? Or they asked, what's your name? What's your, what's your name? And I'm going, well, I'm uh, John, John Johnstone. And they go, Johnstone. And I'm just not quite getting it because I'm not part of the culture and I don't know it and I don't understand it. And they go, no, what is your name? And then finally it kind of clicks in me a little bit and I go, oh, that's my adopted name. I'm a Lewis. I'm a Lewis. And right away they go, oh, you're in that corner over there because that's where your, your family sits. So we walked around the outer edge and went, went and sat in there. But it's all about who you are as family. Who's your family and what, where's the land that you were from? It's a beautiful thing. You hear a lot of things though. A lot of people get troubled by who we are. I stand on both sides of the fence. My father was Austrian. My mother was Amal. So being on both sides of the fence, I uh, journeyed for 24 years now in the Mennonite Brethren Church. And I understand 
God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In, in a Juanitum kind of way, as who he is as white Father, white Son, and white Holy Spirit. And the Creator, the Creator, the Father, who is a good, good Father, is so much bigger than one people group is able to express who he is. Even though they are deep and wonderfully theological, there is more to him than what they are able to express in their worship and song, in their theology. And it is so important that we get to a place where we begin to understand that my people are not demonic. That the Creator knows them and loves them. He calls them by name. He knows the hairs on their head. He loves them. And their culture does not scare him because he is in it. Every culture has something that is not of the Father and needs to be let go. Our culture is no different. Neither is the white one that I grew up in. There's stuff that has to be let go. But if we were to pause for a moment and wonder in what I just said, where's the relationship in that? Where's our hearts? Where's the thoughts that race through our mind as I was saying some of those things? As believers, we do have a superpower. I'm pretty confident of it now, but we do have a superpower and our superpower is love. Our superpower is love. We're to love people into the kingdom, not to judge them out of the kingdom, but to love them into the kingdom. And uh, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this. I was sitting there and I was just, creator, please just give me a, a good, happy, shiny, smiley message to, to share. When my wife and I kind of started in this, we realized pretty early that this was uh, the ministry. If we had to put a label on it or a title on it, it'd be welcome to the table of uncomfortableness. Please sit and join me as we discuss some difficult things. But do know that if you get frustrated and want to get up and walk away from the table, that there is no getaway free card. There's no walk away free card. If you're going to get up and walk away from the table before we actually figure things out or move forward a little bit in a good way, even a little bit in a good way. But if we get up and walk away from the table before any of that happens, we don't get to walk away free. We actually pick up a brick and put it in the wall that is dividing us. And if there is a wall that is dividing us, there is no relationship because the relationship is broken. 
There are walls that are built. There's walls that are built from the church. There's walls that are built from the First Nation communities. The First Nation communities have walls because of the way that the gospel was shared. I, I, I sat here in, in the chair, and one of the things that I was, I was thinking is, like, these songs are so beautiful. These songs are so awesome. And then I had a weird thought go through my mind that said, isn't, isn't it crazy that I can wear this headset and have this little tiny microphone, and you can hear the words that I'm saying because they come through the, the speaker? Like, technology allows that stuff just to fly right through the air. But what, it, what is also even more crazy, I think, is that I could take this headset off, and if I spoke loud enough, you can just hear me. Because we have a creator that loves us so much that the air that goes into our ears vibrates, whatever it vibrates, and sends a signal to our brain, and you can hear what I'm saying. That this light passes through a lens in your eye, triggers some nerves that send signals to your brain, and you can see that I'm wearing a gray shirt. I think all of you, unless you're colorblind, would agree that it's a gray shirt. Unless you're colorblind, then I don't know what color it is, but, but it just allows us, because that did not happen by chance. It happened because there is a creator that loves us. How does that happen by chance? If that happens by chance, you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for my clothes to go into the dryer and come out folded. I don't know how long I'm going to have to let them be in the dryer for before they all come out folded, because that's a great chance thing. Just open the dryer up, and there they are. The socks are all rolled and tucked and just ready to... But we have a creator who loves us. So sitting in that chair and listening to these songs, these songs are beautiful. And we can hear what the songs are uh, saying and how they make us feel because of the experiences that we've had with them. And then it's not that long ago that we had Reconciliation Day and, and uh, we had a lot of talk about residential schools and stuff like that. Residential school is just such a small part of what the, the journey is and has been. So we can sit in this, in this wonderful building. Actually, uh, this is the building and only the building. You are all, you're the church. The church is the people. But we can sit in this building and we can hear these vibrations in our ear. And because of the experiences that we've had with them, it tells us or kind of expresses to us how we feel. And I, and I love them. But then I think about some of the expressions that have been through my family, my mom and my uncle and aunties that attended residential school. What do these songs say to them? It's the same words. It's the same vibrations. They hear the same words but it's the experiences that kind of change it. And the experiences change what the relationship is. So if the creator, if the father, who is a loving father, no ifs, ands, or buts, he is a loving father, loves us, but the gospel comes in an expression of doctrine and discovery, Right at the very beginning, when Christopher Columbus was found lost, wandering on the shorelines and invited in for a meal, 
starving and sickly, I often add in. Starving because he was at the end of his rations. Sickly probably because they were at the end of their medications or simply vitamins. Lost because he was looking for India, for the spices of India. So you can imagine as First Nation people, we're just very thankful he wasn't looking for Turkey. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Who wants to be called a turkey? So, uh, but at that point, there was a relationship because he was invited in for a meal. There was invitation and invited in for the meal. But shortly after that meal, there were seen resources that he wanted and that he wanted to bring back to his kings, queens, and pope. And there became the problem of the inconvenient Indian that was in the way of that. There's a book with that exact title. It's a pretty, I don't know, I found it kind of troubling. I didn't necessarily read it myself. I had my wife kind of read it to me. I don't like to read, or I don't read well, I guess. But yeah, it was a difficult book. So if the gospel is brought in the way of doctrine and discovery, and the doctrine and discovery says that we are savage and subhuman, that we do not use the land in a good Christian way so that any good Christian country that comes uh, to this land can take it and use it in a good Christian civilized way. And so that's kind of how the gospel was shared with us. That was our experience of it. And then because the doctrine of discovery said that we're savage and subhuman, subhuman, eh? And even to this day, like the Indian Act uh, still speaks or expresses in that way, not fully human on, yeah. And so if that's how the gospel was presented and then uh, move into the terra nullius that says the land is void and empty again, so it can be taken if you're a good Christian using it in a good Christian way colonization that happens and and assimilation that happens and assimilation that says because you're savage and subhuman, your skin is too dark, your eyes are too dark, your language is gibberish, your culture is demonic. So you need to be assimilated to be more like us, the newcomers. And then when that doesn't work very well, we move into residential school. And residential school is like, if you can take the Indian out of the child, you'll be left with a good being to be absorbed into the body politic. That's how, and the church is heavily involved in that. The church is involved in all these things. Not the building, but the people, the church. So as we hear these songs and we love them because of what they express and, 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 and the feelings that they bring to us because of the environment that we're in, what does the gospel speak to the First Nation people? The good news is the good news, 100%, absolutely. But it's carrier the way it was brought. The relationship is broken. I was thinking when I was sitting in the chair there, I actually even had my wife 
Uh, I asked her a few times and then she did it. I think it might have been for Father's Day or something, but she made me a shirt. Because I always share that there's, like I said, our superpower as Christians is love. We are to love people into the kingdom, not judge them out. And this love is a powerful love, a great and mighty love. And uh, much of it, if not all of it, should come from the love that the Creator had for His Son when His Son was obedient and went to the cross. Because the love that the Father had for the Son was so grand, so great, so big, and so awesome that it was big enough to atone for all our sins, not even just all our sins <laughs> in the building, but of the world. 7.8 billion some people. But not even just 7.8. It has to be a big enough love for that sacrifice to atone for the sins for those that were and those that are not yet. That's the kind of love. And I, I feel, to me, when I think about that, it, it kind of makes me think about being on Mount Sinai when the people were like, why does only Moses get to see God? We want to see God. We want to see him. We want to be with God. And then finally God says, well, bring him up. Bring him, bring him here, or however that goes. And then all of a sudden they're kind of like, oh, no, he's too much. If we just face him, we will burn or melt or whatever. He's too much. But because that's who he is, that love that he had for the Son is so grand that it is able to atone for all our sins. And then I back to this t-shirt thing. I often talk about what kind of love it takes to get us to where we're trying to be in relationship. What kind of love? That's the kind of love that it takes. The love that the Father had for the Son. But we can't have all of it. We just need a piece of it. Put it in our heart. But there's so many kinds of love nowadays. I love my wife. I love my car when it gets me to where I'm going and doesn't break down. There's all kinds of places where we put that word love. I love a good cheeseburger, you know, on the barbecue. You got the cheeseburger laying there and you just, you flip it, you're almost cooked, you put the cheese on, it's melting, you got some bacon laying beside it, chopped up lettuce and onions, relish, put it all together. I love a good cheeseburger. But cheeseburger love won't get us there. So my beautiful wife makes me a shirt that says conciliation, hashtag conciliation, I think. And it's got a picture of a cheeseburger on it. And it says cheeseburger love won't get us there. <laughs> you can love a cheeseburger, but that's not a big enough love to atone for all our sins. It's the love of the Father. So when we get a piece of that, that's when we're going to get to where we need to be. That's when we're going to be able to share in a way that allows the gospel to be heard in a way that doesn't say we are savage and subhuman. In a way that doesn't say that we need to be assimilated and be like the newcomers. But that we can be who we are because the Creator knows us and loves us. He knows us by name. I bet He even knows many of their traditional names that were taken and stolen. He knows the hairs on their head. And he loves them. So we need to get to this place of... Yeah. I titled it conciliation. Hashtag conciliation or whatever it is. Because reconciliation... 
is another one of those words that it's like love. It gets used so much and has so little follow-through on it that really all its really all its power has been diminished. If you use a word and never follow up on what it means, if you're like me, like I was for a long time, and you just keep messing things up and you tell your wife, oh, I'm sorry, dear. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. After you've said that over and over and over and over and over so many times, it kind of becomes like, does it really have any meaning anymore? Does it, does it, why even say it? So the word reconciliation, when I Googled it, because I had to Google it, what does it really mean? Google will tell you. <laughs> the interwebs never lies. But uh, Google says, um, going back to right relationship. And uh, many of the communities in First Nation, probably even indigenous from around the world, will tell you that there's never really been right relationship to go back to. So if we take the re part off, let's just call it conciliation. And then I had someone tell me, John, that's not even a real word. And I'm going, well, if I say it and you kind of understand it, then it's real enough. So we can have conciliation, which in my mind, I fairly simple thoughts most of the time, but in my mind, it means coming together, not going back to, but coming together, understanding our true history, coming together, and then being able to move forward in a good way. Sounds simple. Awful lot of work in that. My favorite is probably uh, rightnessness of relationship. I don't know if I shared that word last time I was here, but that's one of my favorites, rightnessness of relationship. And how do we get into it? How do we get there? Or is it even important? Is it even important to be in rightnessness of relationship? And I think I might have... It's, good possibility I shared this story last time but I want to share it again because we need to know that this is where we have to get to relationship is key relationship is so important and uh, I've kind of sat at that word for a long time for years asking the creator how did we get out of it? How do we get back into it? Is it even important? That's a big part right there. Is it even important? Is it important for the world to be in rightnessness of relationship? Government to government, people to people, system to system. I think we can all agree it's just going to function better if we are in right relationship. But how critical is it for the church? Not for the building, but the church, the people, to be in right relationship. How important is that part? When I asked the creator that to share with me and tell me how and why that is so important, it kind of, it started to come about in a way, and it, and it was a little bit like I was worried that this was theologically going to get me into trouble, but they kind of started coming about. He was just sharing with me. I felt he was sharing with me anyways, that he was saying that in the individualistic ways that we are kind of in and think, that uh, it is not healthy for us. And that uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they need to be in relationship. 
and that uh, when they are in relationship and how it kind of plays out for our salvation to be birthed into existence happens through relationship. And this is a little bit of where the theological problem can kind of be a little bit in my simple thinking, is that I really felt the Creator was telling me that the Father, all by Himself, cannot offer us our salvation. And that the Holy Spirit, all by Him or Herself, cannot offer us our salvation. And Jesus as wonderful and awesome and incredible as he is, all by himself, cannot offer us our salvation. But that in relationship, the three of them in relationship, covered with incredible love because of who the Father is. And if I shared this, it's worth sharing again. It was the story that the Creator showed me to express some of this relationship and incredible love. And it was the creation story. And he just, he, he told me, this is how our salvation, our ability, ability to spend eternity with the Father was birthed into existence, was through a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it took all three of them. One of them by themselves cannot bring it to fulfillment. So, the Father shared with me that there was this creator who was great and mighty and wonderful and awesome. He was so much more than we as mere humans are able to express or show that he is. He is just so much. And this creator created all things and in all things he created a garden. And in the garden he created man and out of man he created woman. And when man and woman were created he said to them, this garden in creation I created for you. All things here are for you. Everything here is good. I created it. It is good. Everything here is for you. You can eat of all of it. Enjoy everything here. And then he says, oh, but that tree right there, you can have nothing to do with it. Don't eat of it. Don't know of it. Just nothing to do with it. And then the creator went away for a bit. And as soon as the creator went away, the serpent feathers onto the scene and goes over to the tree and picks the fruit, feathers back over to Eve and says to Eve, did Creator really say you can't eat anything in the garden? And Eve says, well, of course not. He's not that kind of father. He's a good, gracious, loving, incredible, awesome father. And the serpent says, well, here then, eat this fruit. And Eve seen where the fruit came from. And then this is a little bit of a side note from what the Creator was sharing with me, and this is just one of my wonders. Like, Eve, why? Why would you eat the fruit? Why, Eve? Not because I'm coming down on Eve. More so who I'm after is Adam. Why didn't Adam say, hey, hon, whoa, no, wait a sec. Remember what the Father said? But he stands there in silence. And it's something that I fear as men, we do that today. We stand in silence when we should be speaking up or when we should be acting, acting out, taking our wife's hand and say, no, that's not what the Creator has for us. So anyways, the serpent gives the fruit to Eve and Eve takes a bite, 
passes it back to Adam. Adam takes a bite. And now disobedience has entered the scene. And when disobedience enters the scene, sin enters the scene because Creator said, don't eat of that fruit. And now they've eaten of the fruit. So disobedience leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Now Creator's beautiful creation is stained with sin and death. But he does have a plan, and his plan is incredible and wonderful and beautiful. And the plan is that it has to be brought back into rightnessness. And to do that, there has to be a sacrifice. And that's kind of when we get into the Father's love there a little bit. Like if I say I'm going to sacrifice my phone and I'm never going to use it again, I probably wouldn't be on time and I wouldn't know when to finish, but you got a clock back there, so that's good. But if I say I'm going to sacrifice my phone and I'm never going to use it again or I'm just going to let it be, that is not a big enough sacrifice. The love that I have for my phone is not big enough to atone for 7.8 billion people's sins. Now, if it was one of my children and they said they were going to sacrifice the phone, that is a much bigger love. But it's still not a big enough love to get us to where we need to be to. Even a cheeseburger love won't get us there. The only love that is going to be a big enough sacrifice to allow the son's death to be a big enough sacrifice is the love of the father. The father is so grand, so great, so big, so mighty, so incredible, so far beyond of what we know to express him as that his love is big enough because he loves the son in such a way that it's big enough that when the son goes to the cross in obedience and dies, and the son goes to the cross in obedience, obedience is very important because it's disobedience that brought sin and death into the world, so it needs to be obedience that cancels it out. So the son goes in obedient. Obedient to who? You can't be obedient to yourself. That's where we get into this individualistic part. Can any of them save us individually? The son is not obedient to himself. The son is obedient to the father. And I struggled with that, so I even had to Google that. Google, can you be obedient to yourself? And Google told me that you need to be obedient to someone that is above you. So the son is obedient to the father. And in that obedience, the obedience crosses out the disobedience, and he goes to the cross, and on the cross, he dies. He is fully God, yes, but he's also fully man, and it's the fully man part that says fully dead. Three days. But again, the Father has a great story and a great plan. So after three days of being dead, the love of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Father raised the Son up. He is risen. Isn't that a beautiful, little beautiful phrase right there? He is risen. Risen indeed. But when he is risen, there is something that happens. Death is defeated. Sin is conquered. Even the other way around, if that's the way you like it. Sin is conquered and death is defeated. But what happens at that moment is we have birthed into existence the ability now to spend eternity with the Father through the Son. Nobody comes to the Father except those that come through the Son. Birthed into existence. But it took the Father's great story, great plan, great love. It took the Son's obedience and sacrifice. And it took the love of the Holy Spirit. It took all three of them in incredible relationship covered with powerful love to birth this ability to spend eternity with the Father, otherwise known as our salvation. 
births our salvation into existence. So if our salvation is birthed into existence through incredible relationship, covered with powerful love, and then the Bible, in, in some place in there, it says that we are created in his image. And I love that it says we. Uh, it's not that I don't love that it doesn't say the Mennonite brethren, but it does say we. It doesn't say Pentecostal. It does say we. It doesn't name a denomination. It says we are created in his image. Actually, I've never really heard the Bible speak about uh, Mennonite, Mennonite brethren, Pentecostal, Evangelical Free, or any of those denominations. But what I have heard it speak in the language of was every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. We. We, every tribe, nation, and tongue are created in his image. But it doesn't just stop there to say that we're created in his image. It's, it goes on a little bit further to say we're created in his image and his likeness. And again, I'm a pretty simple man. I have simple ideas, simple thoughts. And in my simple thoughts, I think to be created in his likeness means that we are to be like him. Pretty simple, but I think it holds water. We are to be like him. And he is they, they are them, and them birth salvation into existence through an incredible relationship covered with powerful love. So is relationship important? Relationship helps birth salvation into existence. Yes, absolutely, 100%. We have to be in relationship with the Father. But we have to be in relationship with each other. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. It's relationship. Relationships help birth salvation into an existence. If the Creator, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their individuality cannot birth salvation into existence, then we, as a people group, are going to have a hard time birthing salvation into existence. It needs every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And to me, it just makes sense that if every tribe, every nation, and every tongue is involved, that we be in right relationship when that is happening. If we are arguing and fighting with each other, it's hard to say that salvation will be birthed out of that. But if we are in right relationship, rightnessness of relationship, in my simple thoughts, and my sitting with the Father times tells me that that will birth salvation into existence. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That's a beautiful thing. Relationship critical, important, key. Something else in four minutes that's important? Invitation. How important is invitation? For me, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. What's he waiting for? Invitation. To be invited into your heart. 
to be invited in. And Jesus, just because of who he is, when he enters the scene, oh, what a glorious thing that is, right? But when he enters the scene, there's the ability for the spiritual realm to be changed around you because of who he is. That's beautiful, right? Invite him in. If we invite him in, there's the ability for the spiritual realm around you to start to begin to be changed. But I also kind of, I, here's a little bit of weirdness with me is that I also think that words have power because of what the Bible says. I believe that God says he spoke the world into existence. I also believe that in James 5, it says that the words of our mouth have the ability to lift up or to put down, to bless or to curse, that the tongue is a powerful thing is because of the words that it speaks. So if words have this power, then we get into spaces and places like invitation and uninvitation. And when we think of invitation, I was invited here to speak. So I came, I came through the door. Uh, there was hostessness, graciousness, maybe brotherly and sisterly love. There was a lot of good things, good thoughts or good words. But if it was a, a few Sundays down the road and you guys didn't know who I was, never seen me before, and it was a Sunday, and the pastor's up here sharing a message, and me and my beautiful wife are driving by, and we think, like, oh, I got something that church needs to hear. So I just park in the parking lot, I come down the hallway, I walk through the doors, the pastor's already started, I pick up a mic, I kind of push him to the side a little bit, and I go, I got some stories you all need to hear, and uh, you're going to listen to them. And then, so that's uninvited. So all of a sudden, in the uninvitation, there's these things that kind of start to happen, like maybe frustration. Who is this guy? And who does he think he is? You can't just walk into here like that. So we get into different words like frustration and anger, and, and it might kind of start to traumatize some people or be triggering. And there's all kinds of words that get carried with this uninvitation. Thoughts, deeds, and actions. It's our thoughts, deeds, and actions that help create the spiritual realm around us. Our thoughts, deeds, and actions. This, the enemy is not a creator. He cannot create, but he can take what we give him and leverage it to, the, to everything that it is worth. But he can't create. So when we get into this area of anger and frustration and possibly even as sharp as pointy as hatred, then we're given the enemy space to begin to work. So in uninvitation, that's the kind of the words that are carried in that. In invitation, we have mercy, grace, blessing, brotherly, sisterly love, hostess. Two different camps. There was an invitation, and relationship was right. There was an invitation when Christopher Columbus was found lost, wandering on the shoreline, starving, and invited in for a meal, sickly. There was invitation. But shortly after, that invitation was destroyed and fractured and traumatized because of the resources that were seen and wanted for him and his kings and queens and, and pope. So the relationship was broken. The invitation was destroyed. And the whole journey for the last 500 years has been about that broken relationship. For us, anyways, as the host people of the land. There was an invitation, but it was broken and destroyed. So what camp 
do you think we're living in? What camp do you want to be in? We're in the uninvited camp. It's just the way it is. The relationship between the host people of the land, Tanatumuch, the land. The relationship between the host people of the land and the newcomers is broken. So I know we go to church and we want to believe that we're the happy, shiny, smiley people. Therefore, we have a happy, shiny, smiley covering. But the problem is, is that we're in broken relationship with the host people of the land. And that relationship helps dictate our thoughts, deeds, and actions over the last 500 years. That's what creates our spiritual covering, our thoughts, deeds, and actions. And the enemy will use them and lever them. So there's a whole bunch more that I want to say about that, but here's what I want to end with. The, relate, the, the invitation was broken, and I know I stood here last time and I invited you to this land, and I want to do it again because there might be someone here new. And I want to believe that through relationship and through invitation that we can begin to change the spiritual realms and the veiling that is actually on the church as much as they don't want to think they're veiled, the veiling that is on the church and the veiling that is on the ears that makes it difficult for First Nation ministry to happen because there is a veiling, because it is difficult. I want that to begin to change. So in that relationship that was broken, I want to be in relationship. In that invitation that was fractured and traumatized and, and destroyed, I want to invite. And as a host person of this land, as a Lakamal member, as a Stolo person, I am from this land, upriver, but I am from this land. And so to you, I want to share with you in words that are from this land, in the language that is from this land. I want to share with you. Asiami Tanasiea. Asiami Tanasiea Itzapualeo. Antha Chan Delitzanak Lekamel. And then I'll pause again for a moment and I will say to those of you that are here and are willing to journey well with the First Nation people, with a good mind and a good heart and in a good way, to you I say, Mitzap Kutwilam. Tana Tamuch, Haha Tamuch, Ayamak Tamuch, Aitzepka. Hello, my friends. How are you all doing? My beautiful wife quietly said, Eats, and means she's doing good. So that's good. And then I said that uh, I am from the Camel, which helps position me and allow you to know that I am a person from the land here. And then I paused for a moment and said, to those of you that are willing to journey well with the First Nation people, with a good mind and a good heart in a good way, to you I say, welcome to this land. Welcome to the sacred land given by the Creator. Welcome to this beautiful land. Thank you all. Thank you for hearing my words.